I want to uh, ask if you would to open up your Bibles to uh, Matthew's Gospel. And while you're looking up Matthew chapter 27, uh, I want to kind of tell you real quickly while you're looking for that, a little bit of what's coming up for the summer. Next Sunday, uh, we've lined up some really good speakers. Jonathan Foster, uh, who's a pastor in Kansas City, a good friend of mine. Some of you might remember he was here last year. He's coming back. He's got a brand new book uh, that he is releasing. And if you know somebody who is going through a difficult season in their life, they've suffered a tragic loss, Jonathan's story is amazing, and it is uh, gripping, and it is hope-filled. And so you, I don't care how far away they live. They live like an hour away. They should come next Sunday, and he will be here. Uh, it's going to be an amazing day. Then the, then the week after that is going to be Father's Day. We have some special things for dads. And then Kids Day. You heard about Kids Day. We honor kids. We love kids here. And so we'll hope you be a part of that. And then a bunch of stuff coming up also in the month of July. Well, if you're new... Uh, I haven't said this yet, but if you're new, thanks for coming. We're glad that you chose to worship with us. We know you could do a lot of things with your Sunday, and that you came here is amazing. We'd love to meet you. Laura and I will be uh, one last time. If you, if you don't come today, we're not going to see you till August. So uh, if you're new, we would love to say hi. If you came on the arm of a friend, we would love to say hi. Starting point is out by the front doors. Just look for the signs. So we're in this series called Church Close. Uh, this has been one of my all-time favorite series because we are kind of um, re-looking at the church and talking about the church's image and the way the church is perceived in culture. And if you've been around, unless you're fooling yourself, it's not real good right now. We're not looked upon very favorably. It's weird to see that here in our society here in America, but Christians are not real popular right now. And the reason for that is because some voices are louder than others. And the voices uh, that are negative and the ones that are self-righteous and the ones that are judgmental and painting a poor picture of the church are drowning out the voices of those of us who love Jesus, love the church, and love this world that Jesus died for. And it's time for us as a church to rise up and for our voice to be louder. Three of you are ready to do that. That's great. After seven weeks of pouring my heart out... Three of you, how many of you are ready to rise up and for our voice to drown out the negativity and all the bad voices out there? That's what we're about. Okay, that's better. That's good. So we've been looking at the scripture, trying to memorize it, not Matthew, but in Colossians. You don't have to turn there. We're going to put it on the screen. But in Colossians, the Apostle Paul, he, he writes this letter uh, to uh, the Colossian church telling them how, what the church is supposed to be like, the kind of people we're supposed to be. And in this verse, what you're going to see in these couple of verses is the character of Christ. This is who Jesus is. So if you're brand new to the church, Colossians chapter 3, this is who Jesus is. I don't know what your perception of the church is. This is who Jesus is. And this is who the people of Core Church are. And this is what we do. So we've been trying to memorize this, and I won't take it off the screen. I'll leave it up there so we can pretend like we have it memorized, okay? So let, let's, uh, let's say this together. Since God chose you, to be the holy people he loves. You must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. This is who Jesus is. This is who we as followers of the way follow. This man who is this person and the son of the living God. Jesus Christ. And if you're here today for the first time and you wonder who Jesus is, that's the picture of who he is. So we've been looking at these different character traits of Jesus, and we're on the last one. 
We're going to talk today about love. And so if you have a Bible, uh, Matthew chapter 27, would you stand while I read this passage of Scripture today? We're going to be looking at one of the, one of the saddest human tragedies uh, that's ever happened in Matthew's gospel. By the way, if you don't have a Bible on your mobile device, if you're new, uh, download version. It's a great version of the Bible. And if you are on a mobile device, I read out of the New Living Translation, so you're looking for the NLT. But Jesus, let me give you some background on this so we can set it up if you're not familiar with this story. Matthew was a disciple of Jesus, and he wrote this account down about the last hours of Jesus' life. And Jesus has had the Last Supper with his disciples, and he's preparing to go to the cross on our behalf. And he is uh, in the garden, he's been praying, and then Judas, one of his disciples, shows up and betrays him. He's got over 500 soldiers with him, and, and they arrest Jesus, and they, they take him, they imprison him, and they beat him, and then we pick it up the very next morning in chapter 27. It says, very early in the morning, the leading priest and the elders of the people met again to lay plans for putting Jesus to death. Then they bound him, led him away, and took him to Pilate, the Roman governor. And when Judas, who had betrayed him, realized that Jesus had been condemned to die, he was filled with remorse. So he took the 30 pieces of silver back to the priest and the elders. He said, I've sinned. I've betrayed an innocent man. And the priest said, what do we care? That's your problem. And then Judas threw the silver coins down in the temple, and he went out, and he hanged himself. And today I want to talk to you on the subject, in the name of love, in the name of love love. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for this house that we have to worship in. What a, a privilege and an honor and a blessing it is for us to be here today. And let's pray now, church, for each other. Uh, that's a practice we have here at Core Church to pray for one another, that we're all going to be open, that, man, would the person next to me, behind me, in front of me, I, pr- I don't know who this person is in front of me, but, I, man, I hope they hear from Jesus today. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you can pray. You can, God, would you speak to me, and would you pray for me as your pastor? And I'm just going to be faithful. Uh, it is uh, quite humbling to stand and, and allow God to speak to us, but he would use me to do that, and I want to listen to him and what he wants for us to hear in Jesus' name. And if you're ready to hear from God, give me a big amen. amen. All right. Well, that's good. All right. You may be seated. I think there's nothing more stressful in life than the responsibility of naming another human being. If you're a parent, you know the stress of that. Do you remember trying to pick out that name for that child? And and D-Day is coming, like you you can't, there's a point at which you can't put it off. Like you gotta gotta give the kid a name, because if you don't, I mean, it'll just be the most awkward time in kindergarten, you know? Hey, what's your name? Uh, To be determined? I mean, that's just... uh, They call me TBD for short. Yeah, that's what I'm called on the playground, TBD. That would just be a horrible thing for a child to have to go through that, so we'd pick a name, right? And when you pick a name, it's frustrating because you've done this, like Laura and I went through this. You come up with the perfect name. You're like, I've got it, I've got it. I'm thinking Gordon. And then your, your, your wife's like, Gordon, I've got this. No, I've got this really creepy uncle named Gordon. He ain't getting that name. If your name is Uncle Gordon, I apologize, okay? Don't make this your last Sunday. Uh, but you have that, that, that name, or, or like, like she'll say, well, you know, what about, what about Jill? You know, and I'm like, I dated a girl named Jill, and she was a little cuckoo, so no on the Jill. Plus, then she'd be like, oh, if you date a girl named Jill, Jill is out. I mean, you know, so, and you just got to go, 
you go back and forth trying to figure out what that name is going to be, and then you, you got to figure out um, how you're going to spell the name. That's the next step, you know, which I know my parents just agonized over. How are we going to spell it, you know? My name's Brad. Uh, and so, but we had this with our, our oldest, our firstborn. His name's Stephen. And so we thought we would do the logical thing and just give him the, the typical Stephen spelling, S-T-E-V-E-N. Eh, wrong, wrong spelling, because every person we came across, whenever they would spell his name, they would spell it S-T-E-P-H-E-N. Now, you know, why is because we were in church, and we went to church all the time, and there's a character in the Bible, there's a Bible name, Stephen, it's spelled P-H, and we didn't, I know, you're, you're right now you're thinking, the pastor didn't name his child after someone in the Bible? I just, I don't know if I can go here anymore, that's just, I mean... No, we, we didn't. And, we, and then we had to tell the story because people would be like, well, he's not named after Stephen in the Bible. Who could he be named after? Okay. Uh, and and I, we would tell the story. We'd say, well, my, my best friend growing up, his name was Steve. And so we named him Steve. And then we're trying to figure out a middle name. And we're like, oh, you know what? This is cool. Hey, we love Steve Martin and Chevy Chase. So we named him Stephen Chase Farnsworth. Don't look at me with that self-righteous attitude. How dare you name your I mean, I just, I just love that. That's what we did. And like, ah, but, but we are, we did name one of our kids Jeremiah. So we're good. I can still be your pastor. We're one for four. Only, <laughs> only one of our kids got a Bible name, <laughs> Jeremiah the prophet. Uh, although he's not really named after Jeremiah the prophet. He's named after my great-great-grandfather. But don't tell anybody that. Okay, we'll just stick with the prophet name. So then you got the, the spelling. And then you got to know, then it's the pronunciation. So some of, you, some of you got that name. You know, your mom and dad gave you that name that, that nobody can spell, and you're like, thanks, mom. I'm 37 now. Thanks a lot. I have to spell it all the time. And then you got that name. If you got a name that nobody can pronounce, that's another one where you're like, great. Yeah, sounds like, and you always have to do that with them. And, um, well, my wife, Laura, when we met in high school, I evidently was saying her, her name wrong, and I, I, I didn't know it. I said, well, you, you know, how, what do you mean I'm saying your name wrong? She said, my name's Laura. And I said, well, I know. That's what I said, Laura. And she said, no, my name's Laura. And I said, that's what I said, Laura. And she said, no, say it with me, Laura. What? I'd never heard. Uh, and she said, it's the Southern sp- uh, pronunciation. I didn't know that there was another pronunciation for the name. Now, right now, some of you are right now, you're breaking out in a sweat because you're like, I've been calling her Laura forever. And she talks about you all the time. No, she doesn't. She really doesn't. I'm kidding. She absolutely doesn't because it just gets mixed up all the time. I mean, her, I, and I, the way I figured it out was I was at her grandma's, and her grandma calls her La, like that. And that's how I learned it, okay? L-A-A-A-A-A-A-R-A is how that's spelled, if you're spelling it. But our names are important, right? I mean, names are, names are powerful. They're, they're important to us, and all of us want to have a good name. Like you want, when people talk about you, you want to you have a good name, Right? You don't want to have a, a name that people are, are talking ill about or negative about or people that are uh, dragging your name through the mud. And the, the interesting thing about a name is uh, when the, just the mention of a name invokes a very, very strong emotional response from all of us. And we see this even throughout history. You look at names throughout history. For instance, I say the name Mother Teresa. And all of us have a very, very strong emotional response to that. I say the name Hitler, and we have a very strong emotional response to that. I say the name Churchill, or I say the name Hillary, or I say the name Trump, and you, some of you are like, he's going there, he's going there. I say, 
I say the name Gilligan. And yeah, some of us, we have this emotional response. And, 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 and all of us have a name. A name that, that triggers a strong emotional response in us. And, and when you hear that, that name... It, it might be that they did something good, or it might not be so good. Like, you hear the name John, and somebody goes, oh, John, that's like one of my best friends. Man, I, I love John. John, man, he just invokes great emotional response. But, but somebody else in that same circle or that same crowd, they hear the name John, and it's a completely different response. They're like, oh, that's, uh, that's the name of my ex-husband. He was not kind to me, and he was not very kind to my children. Names are powerful. Names invoke all kinds of different emotional responses from us, and, and some, some are good, and, and some are, are not so good. And we've all had these people in our lives that have either impacted us or infected us in one way or the other. So what do you do when you have that name that comes up that takes you to that place, that, that, that dark place, that negative place, and begins to bring things up in you that you just don't want to deal with? Well, the Apostle Paul comes along, and he says, above all, clothe yourselves with love. Well, that's easy to do when somebody's nice to you. But come on, can we be just real, even as followers of Jesus? Like when somebody hurts you, when somebody backstabs you or causes you pain or does something to you that, that inflicted a wound on you, it's not so easy to love. So how do we learn to love people who have hurt us? Because Scripture is really clear that we're supposed to love them, but, but we struggle with that. And so how do we, how do, we do it? Well... In Matthew chapter 27, we, we see two names side by side, and both invoke very, very strong emotions. One, one name is, is Jesus, and the other name is Judas. And, and what we see here in this story is in his final hours of his life, Jesus displays a love to someone who really, really hurt him, someone who wounded him deeply and caused great pain. Now, if you are not familiar with Judas, and I, I realize in this crowd that, that many of you are, but you might be new to church and you're, you're not familiar with, with Judas. Let me, let me give you some background so you can understand who Judas was. See, Jesus uh, was, uh, when he came, he, he recruited 12 men to be his disciples. And there was a large crowd that were, that were his followers, so maybe a couple hundred people. We don't really know what that exact number was, but they followed Jesus and, and were listening to his teachings. And so Jesus, he goes up on a mountain and he, he prays and he asks the Father, who should I choose as my 12? Who, who should I choose as my business partner? Who, who should I choose as my best friend? Who, who should I trust? And the Father gives him these 12 names and Judas is one of these people that he calls out of the crowd. And so Judas and, and Jesus, they begin walking together as friends with the other 11, and, and Jesus begins pouring his life into them. They walk together, and they do ministry together, and they're making preparations together for three years. 
And this is an exciting time because he's talking about the kingdom of God. He even tells, Jesus has these huge plans, and he, he tells the 12, and, and when he tells the 12, Judas is one of the 12, and he, he says, listen, you guys are going to sit on these thrones, and you're going to judge the world. So Jesus got these big plans for Judas and, and for all the disciples, and then suddenly everything changes. I don't, I don't know what happened. Uh, you know, we, we know that he had given himself over to, to, to the devil, and, and we know that the devil had a work that he was going to do, and, and, and Judas suddenly sees Jesus in a different light now, and, and he goes and he betrays the Son of God. He sells out Jesus, and not only does he sell out Jesus, but he sells out his 11 buddies. These guys are like, we're supposed to be doing life together. We, Jesus had big plans for us. What are you, what are you doing? Completely unexpected, out of nowhere. They never saw it coming. Look back at Matthew's gospel, chapter 27 and verse 3. It says, when, when Judas, who had betrayed him, realized that Jesus had been condemned to die, he was filled with remorse. So he took the 30 pieces of silver back to the leading priests and the elders, and he said, I, I've sinned. I, I betrayed an innocent man. So when we think about Judas, most of the time we don't think about a guy who was remorseful. But he was he, he suddenly realized what he had done, that, that Jesus was innocent and that he had these friends and suddenly he had this wake-up call and this epiphany that what I did wasn't right. And so what I like about Judas is he does the right thing. Like he goes to the priests and, and he seeks forgiveness and he seeks reconciliation. But listen to their response. What do we care? That's your problem. So Judas comes to them seeking reconciliation, and they just kick him to the curb. Forget you. But then you see the response of Jesus, and Jesus' response is in stark contrast to the priest. And go back just one chapter to chapter 26, and Jesus is in the garden. It's, it's the night before he will go to the cross, and Judas has gone off to betray him. And here comes Judas, and he's coming with 500 Roman soldiers, and they've got torches, and they're coming to get him. And Jesus confronts his accuser. He confronts the one who is betraying him. And in that moment, in, in chapter 27, or chapter 26 and verse 50, Jesus says, my friend, is that the response? Like he's coming to betray you. You're in the middle of being stabbed in the back and your response is, my friend, go ahead and do what you have come for. See, Judas, Judas he's not coming with remorse. He's not sorry for what he did. He, he's coming to attack Jesus. He's, he's coming with soldiers and torches and Jesus calls him friend. I think we have all had a Judas in our lives. Some of those wounds go deeper than others, but we've all had somebody who has stabbed us in the back, somebody who has betrayed our trust or who has harmed us. I mean, for some of you, it's, it's a business partner and a best friend. You, 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 this best friend, we're going to do business together, and we're going to get big dreams, and you get going and everything's exciting and then all of a sudden everything turns and this person that's supposed to be your friend is stealing the business from you and then they take the business from you and you're out on the street. Or coworker. I love, I love work because it's like, it's like Survivor. You, you ever watch Survivor? I swear Survivor's like being at work every day, is it not? Like people are like, I love you and then meanwhile they're stabbing you in the back. 
Like you got that coworker, like you're sitting at lunch and you're talking and you think you're having private conversations and the next thing you know, they're taking your conversation to your manager or to, to the boss and they're going behind your back and then suddenly they get a promotion and you're on the, the outside and you thought they were there for you. Or you have somebody that you thought it was going to be till death do you part. <laughs> Married and you got dreams and hopes, you got a couple kids. And then they walk in and they say, I don't think I love you anymore. What do, you, what do you do in moments like that? Even in the church, sometimes happens in, even in the walls of the church. I wish it wasn't so, but man, even as a pastor, I've, I've had people that I thought were my friends and I thought they were on board and I thought they, they were bought into what we were doing and then they, what I didn't know is, is they, were, they were tearing my integrity apart and talking about me and saying things about me and, 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 and you're supposed to be my friend. You ever had a family member that you trusted and you thought was there for you? I've had that. I mean, you, you just hold them in the highest esteem and then they break that trust and you're what and you're left holding this this is our savior this is this is Jesus this is what he's dealing with and whenever you hear that person's name uh, it, it can trigger very very strong emotions and and when somebody hurts us and and when, when somebody does things to us we, we man we have this attitude that you know like kind of like the priest we're, we're like the priest in this story we're more like the priest than we are like Jesus, and we're like, I'm going to come with torches, and I'm going to come with swords, and I'm gonna, they are going to pay for what they did to me. After all, they deserve it. And so we have this, this attitude, and so we'll tell anyone and everyone that will listen. Will we not? I mean, if they're an open ear, man, we are going to tell them about what happened to me. Now, don't misunderstand me on that because I think we need people that we can be intimate with and that we can talk with when we're struggling, when we have had a struggle like this. you got to have people. But how do you know if you're going to the right people? I'll just give you a quick gauge on that. If you're talking to somebody and they can't do anything about it, you are talking to the wrong person. You, you need to stop talking to that person. The only people you need to be talking to are the people who can do anything about it. When, I, when I've dealt with issues of, of betrayal and, and, and struggles, that I didn't stand up and proclaim it to everybody, hey, guess what people are doing to me? No. But I had a few people that I trusted that I knew could help, could help our church, could, could help me, could help those people and, and could be a part of that, and so I would bring those people in. But so many times we're just going to people. Have you ever had somebody come to you and like you don't even know who they're talking about? You're like, man, they are really bitter. <laughs> Ouch. It's like, no, we've got to be careful with how we handle that. But because in, the reason we do it is because it gives us a sense of control. Like, I hold the keys. As long as I do this, I hold the keys and, and I can hold them prisoner. And so we take offense at what someone has done. Now, we, um, this past week, we lost our beloved dog named Rambus. Uh, he's an amazing dog, and he lived to be 14 years old, but he never got in trouble ever. He never did anything wrong. He would go out in the front yard. You, if you accidentally forgot about him, he would be back at the front door, and he would bark because he's like, dude, I am an indoor dog, not an outdoor dog. Okay, and he would remind us of that. But have you ever had a dog that's a runner? Like a, just a crack of the door, and boom, they're gone. We had one like that. His name was Jabbar. 
And I, I conveniently named my dogs after amazing basketball players. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Kurt Rambis, two greatest basketball players to ever live. Okay, look it up. Google it. It's true. Uh, but so Jabbar, he loved to run, and he was constantly getting out. And one day I looked out, and I, and I saw how he was getting out. We had this chain-link fence. He, would, he was a, um, a husky, Siberian husky, and he would climb the chain-link fence and jump over it. It's the craziest thing I ever saw. So then we moved. We didn't move because of the dog. That would be stupid. But we moved, and, and we, got a, we had a privacy fence, six-foot privacy fence. Oh, he ain't jumping this thing. Sure enough, he couldn't jump that thing. No, he couldn't jump it. So he just dug underneath it because he was all about, I'm getting out. And he, here's what we do. We, we think we can build a fence around a fence, okay, around a fence, O-F-F. Okay, we build this fence around an offense, a way that we have been offended, and I'm going to build it, and I'm going to keep them out. But guess what happens? Bitterness has a way of jumping the fence. Anger has a way of digging underneath that fence. Frustration and unforgiveness have a way of, of getting themselves out. And so what we try to do is build this fence, but the person who ends up imprisoned is me. I end up imprisoned in bitterness and unforgiveness and anger. I wanted that for them, but it ends up being me who is imprisoned. So if you're taking notes, I'd like for you to write this down. This is so important for all of us is don't build a fence around a fence. Don't build a fence, F-E-N-C-E, around a fence, O-F-F-E-N-S-E. Don't build a fence around a fence. Turn to somebody and tell them, tear it down. Tear it down. Because listen, a fence not only inhibits our ability to love, it inhibits our ability to be loved. Because what happens is when you get hurt, you, you build a fence with the fence over your heart and nobody's getting in here. Nobody's ever doing that to me again. Nobody's ever going to hurt me that way again. Nobody's ever going to do something like that to me again. Nobody's ever getting here again. And you build this fence of offense over your heart. And when you do that, you inhibit your ability to be loved. So not only have we limited my ability to love, but now I've limited my ability to be loved. But Jesus, Jesus tears down the fence of offense. And he uses this word friend. Isn't that weird? Like Jesus is coming to betray him to right in the middle of the betrayal, right in the middle of this bad thing going, going south on him, and he calls him friend. Well, to understand what he means here, you have to understand what this word friend means, but you also have to understand the, the inflection and, and the tone in which Jesus is saying this. Like when Laura, when she says my name, she can just say my name, and I know what she wants. Like she'll say, Brad! And I know immediately, oh, she needs my help with something. And so, of course, I'm a great husband, so I just I jump right up, man. I, absolutely, what can I do for you, baby? What do you need? All the time. I do it all the time. Um, then there's times she'll say it this way. She'll say, Brad. <laughs> and I jump right up, and I, I'm right there, whatever you need, baby. And then <laughs> I'm going to go over here. <laughs> Because I know when I, when I get home, <laughs> I'm going to hear, Brad! <laughs> and I'm going to know I'm in, I'm in trouble. <laughs> so, so when Jesus says friend here, 
He's saying it like, friend, friend. It's, 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 it's a mark of compassion towards Judas. It's, it's, it's his way of saying to, to, to Judas, I, I, I know what you're getting ready to do. But I love you anyway. It's this act of grace and this act of mercy. And you look at the priest, the priest, what they do? They withheld forgiveness. Judas comes to them, they're like, no, oh no, forget you. Kick him to the curb, but not Jesus. So Jesus, though, he extends love and he extends grace and he extends mercy. And Judas isn't even coming to reconcile with him. See, forgiveness, so many times we think that it's a two-way street. Like, I, I forgive so I get something back. Forgiveness is, that's not what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is something you give to someone, okay? You give that to someone. And whether they respond the right way is not between, it's between them and God, not between you and them. And so forgiveness is something I, I give out to people. And if you're taking notes, write this down. Love tears down the fence of offense. Love tears down the fence, F-E-N-C-E, the fences we build up. We build up this fence and it tears down the fence of offense. I get offended, but it tears down those things that, that cause us to be offended. Come on, turn to three people right now and say, tear it down. How many times I gotta tell you, tear it down. This is what love does. You know, in this, in this passage of, of scripture, In Colossians, back to Paul's letter, Colossians chapter 3, I, we have not uh, talked about verse 13 in this entire series. In fact, if you have looked as we've memorized, you've noticed that we've been memorizing verses 12 and verses 14, but we've left out verse 13. But here's what I think. I want to introduce verse 13 today because I think verse 13 is the glue that holds 12 and 14 together. So let's look back at what Paul says. You don't have to look it up. We'll put it on the screen. And this is what Paul says. Make allowance for each other's faults, and let's say this together, what? Forgive anyone who offends you. Oh, no, no, don't say it like that. You got to, guys are like, forgive anyone who offends you. You sound, it sound like my seven-year-old, you know, like, I'm sorry. You know, no, it's terrible. That's terrible. Now, let's practice this with one another. Just turn to like two or three people and say, hey, hey, you know what you got to do? Forgive anyone who offends you. Come on, tell them right now. Forgive anyone who offends you. Forgive anyone who offends you. Why? This is what he says. Oh, remember. Oh, thanks a lot, Paul. Oh, just what I want to do. He says, remember, the Lord forgave you, so you got to forgive others. Oh, this is going to be good. I want you right now, tell three people right now, you got to forgive me because God forgave you. Come on, come on. You just want to say this. you got to forgive me because God forgave you. You're like, oh, not the way we drove to church today, not what you did this morning. No, you got to forgive me because Jesus forgave you. All right, so it's good. You're welcome. Reconciliation happening right now in the seats. Amen. But we see the power of love and forgiveness in, in the response of Jesus and, and also the priests, the, the final words of the priests. What do we care? That's your problem. And, and the result of that was that Judas took his life. Now, we can't hang that all, all on the priest. That's, that would not be true. Judas has to own that. But what we got to acknowledge here, the priest did not help. What if the priest had forgiven him? Would we be reading a different story about Judas? 
Would he have been reconciled back to God if they had offered back reconciliation? But they didn't. But Jesus, Jesus, his final words, right in the middle of being stabbed in the back, right in the middle of his business being taken away, right in the middle of the divorce, right in the middle of the friendship going south, right in the middle of the family member turning their back and and the trust being broken, right in the middle of that, Jesus says, my friend. And when Judas hears the words, my friend, his next action, the very next thing we hear about Judas is he's going to the temple for reconciliation. Jesus' act of love and mercy and grace was leading Judas to reconcile. We have that kind of power and that kind of ability that we have within us to harm someone back and hurt them or help with the reconciliation. I I don't know how it is for you, but I I know that in the times that I've been hurt, in the times that I've been wounded, in just the last few days, um, I, I heard the name of somebody who had wounded me deeper than I've ever been wounded in my life. And it wasn't somebody talking about that person. It was just this, the name. They just mentioned, I just heard that person's name. And I don't know how it works for you, but, but you hear that name, and, and suddenly you're transported back to that moment. Are you not? Like you start re- reliving it, and you, you start... It's, it's kind of like a DVD, and you kind of put it in. You know you shouldn't push play, but, but you push play, and, and then all of a sudden you're reliving what happened to you. And, and, then, and then all of a sudden that, that bitterness is coming up in you, or that hurt, or that wound is coming up in you, and, and that unforgiveness, and, you, and you, next thing you know, you're all just twisted up, and you're upset all over again. I don't know if this would work for you, but I just want to tell you what I do. And it works pretty good for me. At least it works when I do it. When I don't do it, it doesn't work. But whenever I hear someone's name who's hurt me or wounded me and I start to go down that road of bitterness and frustration and hurt, I, um, I introduce Jesus to the story. And I, I have Jesus actually literally walk into the picture I have in my mind. And I see Jesus in my mind. You know, he's got the white robe and he's got the long flowing blonde hair and the beard and... No, that's not what Jesus looks like. But <laughs> so we're like, is that what he really looks like? No, that's not what he looks like. But he actually looks like that in my story, okay? And which is great because if he, anybody who walks into your story wearing a white flowing robe with long blonde hair and he's really cute, you know, this is, must be somebody else that's not in my story. So in walks Jesus to my story. And I'm playing a little bit with this, but the truth is I have Jesus walk into the story. And, and when he walks into that story, what I, what I see him doing is I see him turn and I, I see him look at me. And I just have him hear him say, hey, Brad, remember, I forgave you. You, you got to forgive them. You're right, God. I was pretty messed up. He's like, yeah, you were. You didn't have to forgive me, did you? No, I didn't. I didn't have to forgive Judas. I didn't have to forgive anybody. Why do you think I went to that cross? It wasn't just for the whole world. It was for you. And I know what you did. But I forgive you. I need you to do it for them 
because I want to reconcile them back to me too. I want them to experience forgiveness too. I want them to have the hope that you have. I want them to have the joy you have. And that's not going to happen if you don't, you know, do something and help me out here a little bit. Okay, God, I choose to forgive. Now, forgiveness is not forgetting. We think that because I forgive, I got to forget. You're never going to forget. You're human. You're always going to remember. Listen, forgiveness happens in a moment, but healing takes time. So I forgive them in an instant, but healing, it, it, it takes time. And, and what you have to learn to do is you have to acknowledge and say, no, no, when that story comes back and Jesus walks in the picture, I go, yeah, no, I, I forgave them a long time ago. I just did this week. I was like, no, I forgave them several years ago. When I, and I actually can say I love that person. You care about that person. You desperately want to see them in heaven and reconciled back to God. This is what God's asking us to do as followers of Jesus. It is a big ask. But this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Is he forgave us, so we, we extend that forgiveness to others. How can the world ever know that the forgiveness of Christ is available to them unless we show them what unconditional love and forgiveness is and reach out and extend that to them?